This is exactly right. If you just relax and take a step back, if you are calm and you don't freak your kid out about everything, they're going to come out to be a better, more well-adjusted human being than if you're the person sitting there, you know, screaming at them from the stands and sports and making them take three hours a day of violin practice. Like, I don't think, I don't think any child ever really turns out uh, healthy or normal from those circumstances. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. That mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. Additionally, we firmly believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called Zombies, Ostriches, and Unicorns, Oh My. And I'm excited to introduce you to our guest, James Breakwell. And I have to tell you a bunch of stuff about James. He's a professional comedy writer and an amateur father of four girls, ages eight and under. He's best known for his family humor Twitter account, at Exploding Unicorn, which boasts more than a million followers. And his account went viral in April of 2016 and transformed James from a niche comedy writer into one of the most popular dads on social media. And since becoming internet famous, he's been profiled on virtually everything, US Today, US Weekly, uh, you name it. Uh, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, and he and pictures of his kids are spread all over the world as far as India. He was named 2016 Blogger Dad of the Year, and he has published two books with several more planned. I love the names of these books, which uh, we're going to touch on these topics today. Only Dead on the Inside, A Parent's Guide to Surviving the Zombie Apocalypse, and Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child. And his newest book, which we're going to talk about, How to Save Your Child from Ostrich Attacks, Accidental Time Travel, and Anything Else That Might Happen on an Average Tuesday. James, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you are an amateur father who has now become a world-renowned parenting expert. How does that happen? Well, I'm definitely not an expert. I'm just a person who writes about parenting. <laughs> but yeah, just uh, you, you, you get that kind of audience or attention just by failing very publicly. I think that's the, the key. You turn parenting into a spectacle. But uh, these are these are definitely struggles we all have. We all have kids who we just, you know, takes hours of negotiation to get them to finish their dinner or put on that one last sock, you know, because two is too many socks, apparently. And I just, uh, I got a knack for kind of condensing that down to 280 characters and sharing that with the world. In, in a succinct way that 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 grabs everyone. And um, I, I just, just seeing the titles of your previous books, now our kids being almost 16, 18, and 20, um, those early years are so still etched in my brain and the ideas of like literally walking around and you're trying to present a cohesive front at work and with your friends and you're totally sleep deprived. And I remember one day being at the park and 
I believe, I don't know where my wife was. I was on kid duty and I had one I was holding, one I was pushing on the swing, and the other one was running around and I wanted to make sure that like he didn't fall off the top of the play structure. And we had been up five times that night for various reasons. And I remember just thinking, how did my life turn into this? Like, when did this happen? <laughs> like, I, I used to be someone. And so this, this, it's, it's, it transforms us in many ways, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. My wife took a picture of me one time. I was uh, playing that the Xbox game Rock Band with the plastic guitar, and I had one kid strapped to me in a plastic, or in a, like one of those like front harnesses, just dangling on my chest asleep. And there was another kid passed out on the floor at my feet, and I was just there playing that game obliviously. I just it totally changes your perspective. You got you know collapsed tiny humans all over the place, and it's just it's just totally normal. It did it, it really. Uh, Weird takes on a whole new meaning once you're a parent. Did you find yourself ever resisting it before embracing or still in the process? No, I, I kind of had a running head start because I was uncool to begin with. So I didn't I didn't have as much ground to lose as most people. I just kind of I just kind of sunk right in and thought, okay, yeah, I, I can continue being lame and being a homebody. I, I got this. So when did you start? Was there was there a moment when you started to take your your writing um, and blogging and tweeting to focus on your parenting and the kids? Yeah, I, I joined Twitter around 2012 to promote my blog. And at that point, I, only, I had a mere two kids. And uh, I had been kind of writing about uh, you know everything and anything on my on my blog, just whatever I could think of for comedy articles. And once I got on Twitter, I, I kind of got more immediate feedback to see which of my jokes people responded to. What they really responded to were the kid jokes; those were the most relatable ones. So I I started really honing in on what you know what parenting experiences could I share, and that's uh, and that's how I built up an audience slowly but surely. And then eventually, uh, BuzzFeed ran an article on me, and I went viral. But before that happened, I had built up like something like 200,000 followers. So it was uh, it, it was an acquired skill to really figure out what were the universal experiences. And what I kind of found is the weirder a tweet, the more people could relate to it because everybody's kids are weird. We all, we're always afraid it was just our kid who did that one weird thing, but it wasn't. It was all of our kids. They're all in it together. So did you, did you ever think that you would be creating community and normality when you set out on this path? No, I was kind of in it for selfish yeah. motives. I just wanted to I wanted to build an audience and get get to a book deal and, and support myself that way, but I, I didn't really uh, see this coming together happening, but it, it really it's it's kind of nice to have a positive side effect rather than a negative one. I'm not like a factory spewing out pollution or something. <laughs> my my side effects are accidentally good. I get emails from people all the time saying that, you know, my my tweets helped them through a hard time or I brightened their day when they were, you know, when, when things were looking down. So it's it, it's been really affirming to see that and it was totally unexpected. And when I when I was th um, talking about at the open here about the parent footprint mission to be you know for us parents to be engaged and happy and healthy in our own lives, the other thing that was crossing my mind and thinking about our talk and your work is humor. How critical humor is not just not only to life, but when you're raising these creatures that totally um, humble you. Yeah, if you can't laugh, you're going to have a mental breakdown. So you really got to learn to to not take it so seriously because they will they will test you. They will push every button you have. Uh, they will they will invent buttons that aren't even there. And so if you can't if you don't if you don't have some kind of coping mechanism, you're you're going to be in trouble. For some people, that's wine. For me, it's humor, and it's it's worked out okay so far. So 
I want to let's take us through um, the themes of your books, and what I want to start with on uh, "Only Dead on the Inside: A Parent's Guide to Surviving the Zombie Apocalypse." So, tell us, tell us where that came from, and what are the key messages that we need to unpack there? So that was what I wrote after I first uh, went viral on Twitter, and everybody kind of wanted me to write a traditional parenting book in line with my tweets, and I didn't want to do that. I had to be difficult. So I went for something that hadn't been written yet. So I went for a mashup of a zombie survival guide and a parenting book. So there weren't any there weren't any parenting guides for the zombie apocalypse out there at the time. And uh, it, it kind of it, it fit too well because every survival guy that was out there kind of assumed you were this young, fit millennial on your own. But what about if you know you're dragging one or two or three or four kids through the apocalypse? And uh, so I took I took just regular parenting situations that are hard enough on their own. You know, taking getting your kids in the minivan, getting your kids in the grocery store, you know, keeping the house clean, all that stuff. And then I just flung zombies into the scenarios to see what would happen. It was kind of amazing. And, and what I discovered is parenting in the zombie apocalypse isn't that much harder than parenting already is. Like, we're kind of at the max difficulty <laughs> level already, and throwing a few zombies into the mix doesn't really change all that much. <laughs> oh, so I, I do have the image of dragging, you know, kids on you. And so so what do we need to do to... So what, what I'm hearing is best practices for surviving parenting in a zombie apocalypse are actually best practices for just surviving our everyday parenting lives. Yes. Uh, basically, the skills you practice every day will help you survive the apocalypse. I mean, even things that you've already got, like a minivan is the ultimate apocalypse survival tool. You know, staying home with your kids, which you probably do anyway, because, you know, it's so expensive to take kids out and they're a disaster in public, like staying home is the best way to survive the apocalypse. And there there were all sorts of things like that, like a messy house. If you have a messy house and a zombie breaks in, it's going to trip and fall and break its leg. Like all the, the hazards that are already there will actually keep you safe. So yeah, it's uh, if, if you are keeping kids alive successfully right now, you are definitely ready for the zombie. That's apocalypse. just a win. That's a huge win. So, uh, yeah, so is exactly. give me, give us, you know, like three things that we need to do when the zombie apocalypse comes. Uh, well, oh, oh, it'll make me go yeah, back. Yeah, two yeah, books just, ago. It, it'll come. It'll come. <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, well, one of the things is, is food. So kids are super picky eaters to start with. And uh, when the zombie apocalypse comes, the good thing is the electricity goes out. So you get to eat all the fun stuff from your freezer. And after that... <laughs> Uh, you know, they, they, they I, like my kids right now, it's like they, if they have a choice between like eating their, eating something that's not their absolute favorite food or starvation, uh, they'll choose starvation. <laughs> right. So, uh, I, I, I definitely advocate just loosening the food standards in, uh, in the zombie apocalypse. Look like kids eat whatever they want. If they want to eat dandelions, if they want to eat dog food, whatever. Then this is, I wrote this when my kids were a little bit younger. My kids were just fascinated with the dog bowl and the dog food. And it's like, you know what? In an apocalypse scenario, I suppose that oh, would sure. probably be okay. Don't don't get too upset if they if they want to go that direction. Um, another scenario I, I talked a second ago about staying home, but really, uh, your house is a fortress. I mean, first of all, you don't want guests coming no. over in the first place. So you're already, you're already accustomed to keeping people out and keeping guests out and keeping zombies out very much similar in theme. And the fact that your house is already messy is going to kind of make it look abandoned to start with, which is going to deter looters. They're going to think there's nothing good left there. So that keeps you safe as well. And then, uh, for a third tip, let me think through here. Oh, um, I, I go through the uh, 
like the, the the opening day, like when everything starts. And I think the most likely place the zombie apocalypse is going to start is a daycare because it's just a petri dish for every disease known to man. Yep. So if we're going to have something that yeah that brings the dead back to life, it's mm-hmm. definitely going to start there. So you know, be on your toes every day when you drop your kids off at daycare. Look around for zombies. See if any of the kids are eating other kids because that's going to be ground zero, and you're going to find out before anybody else that the zombie apocalypse is starting. Very helpful. Okay, you hear that, everyone? Like, get rid of the food expectations dog food, goldfish, that whatever's in the freezer, like that's great. (laughs) Um, Stay home. Don't let anyone in because there's a lot of zombies out there. And then be careful at the daycare because there's a lot of different interacting uh, viruses and bacteria there that, uh, that you never know. That's where things happen. Okay. Okay. So now we're moving on. Um, Bare minimum parenting, the ultimate guide to not quite ruining your child. Now, of course, we seem to have an epidemic, not of bare minimum parenting in a lot of uh, parenting circles, but I think people would argue perhaps over parenting, like we're trying to find that middle ground. Um, give us, give us, how do we not ruin our kids in the bare minimum sort of way? Well, this book, it started out as a joke. There were so many books out there about how to overachieve and push your kid as far and give them every advantage in life. And I thought, what's the point? I looked around me and I was just surrounded by mediocre adults. Like you, when you get to that, you know, you're 30, you're 40, you can't tell who had a huge head start, who had all these extra tutoring classes and, and who didn't and who slacked off. I mean, after a while, it all just sort of averaged out. So I thought if all of this overparenting didn't make a difference, what, what if we went in the opposite direction? Rather than trying to figure out what's the most we can do to give our kids a leg up, I looked into what's the least we can do while still turning out a reasonably functional human being. <laughs> <laughs> that was it was kind of my thought experiment how little can you do and still Efficiency. not ruin your Efficiency. child but as a yeah, exactly. And as I was going through that, though, I, I kind of accidentally proved a point. Is I, by the time I got to the end of the book, I realized that not only is is you know lazy parenting kind of more efficient, but it's actually better for your kid if you just relax and take a step back. If you are calm and you don't freak your kid out about everything, they're going to come out to be a better, more well-adjusted human being than if you're the person sitting there, you know, screaming at them from the stands and sports and making them take three hours a day of violin practice. Like, I don't think I don't think any child ever really turns out uh, healthy or normal from those circumstances. Mm. So yeah, it was really a, it, it was a great book if you want to feel good about what you're already doing as a parent. It definitely, it definitely will affirm the, the and, way you're already um, going. This is actually a really important message. I know that we are, uh, you, you know, you started this looking at a, um, from a um, counterculture sort of bent, but you found that this counterculture is actually a culture that a lot of us are talking about in the parenting world, which is, again, we need to be very mindful of what we're doing for our kids and what we're setting them up for. And a lot of doing for them and paving the way, it it doesn't necessarily create the kind of person that we want. But a lot of parents are parenting in we're worried we like we we want our kid to 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 make it we want our kid to have all of these possibilities and not get left behind and then we do a lot and 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 you're saying from your research um (laughs) yeah research research (laughs) that sometimes doing less or often doing less could be more Yes, exactly. I think we just, uh, parents who push their kids so hard, they're kind of spinning in circles. And and you really look at it, so they set themselves up in these, in these unproductive cycles. So, 
you've got these high power parents who go to this super expensive university and they get this high paying job that's high stress and they're working all these hours to pay off that college debt. And what are they doing with all this money? Well, they move into the most expensive school district they can uh, so that their kid can get into an expensive college that then they have to pay for as well. And what are they going to do? And what's the point of the expensive college? They don't send them there so they can so they can be happy. Like you don't measure success coming out of Harvard and how many smiles you have a day. You measure success in what you make, like in money. And what do they use that money for? They use that money to push their own kids hard and get to the expensive school district and put them in. And they just they get more money and they spend it all on education. And it's they they get stuck in this in this infinite feedback loop. And it's like, what if what if you didn't do all of that? What if you didn't stress out and push your kids super hard and make them miserable and send them to the most expensive college so that they can pay for the most expensive college for their kid? What if you just send them to a state school? What if you go to public school? What if you what if you just chill out and calm down? Uh, and I think you get to a certain point uh, in your career, depending on what your field you, you're in, where you you really don't care what college somebody went to, and you you quickly realize there's no correlation between like how good somebody is at their job and where they went to school. And sometimes it's inversely proportional. Sometimes the people who went to the best schools are the mm-hmm. least functional human beings. Uh, a lot of jobs now, anyway, you you end up. It's not like your you know your your poetry class from college or your 18th century literature class has any you know application. You go to your job on the first day, and there's all unique computer programs specific to this job, and you end up getting two months of on-the-job training anyway. So it was a lot of a lot of things like that. Another area where um, it kind of seemed like the people uh, overachieving parents were spinning themselves in circles mm-hmm. was sports. And this, um, and how I wrote these chapters, like every time I saw a parent around me just doing something ridiculous, it was like, okay, that's another chapter. But there was somebody around here who was, um, they were like flying around the country to take their kid to these volleyball tournaments. But they're like, oh, it's going to pay for itself. They're going to get these scholarships. It's like, if you took all the money you've spent traveling the country and paying entrance fees and getting hotel rooms and booking flights and just saved it, you could have paid for your kid to go to college. It just, the the Mm -hmm. way that we put this overemphasis on sports and the hope of like buying a lottery ticket to pay for Mm -hmm. college, it doesn't make any sense. And even if you even if you do, uh, I was a college athlete. I was a walk-on, but uh, college, being a college athlete, is a really bad deal. For like, when you compare the number of hours you put in for like the value of the education, you, you'd be better off getting a minimum wage job, especially when you factor in all the unpaid hours you put in from like kindergarten through your senior year of high school. Uh, I, I think, and again, in each one of these cases, it's like, what if you just didn't mm-hmm. do these things? What if you just stayed home and let your kid watch TV? And I was like, you know what? I think that kid watching TV comes out ahead in every single scenario. <laughs> and, you know, just to to make your point, um, research out of Challenge, Challenge Success, which uh, is a Stanford um, program, they do all of this extensive research on um, a number of things to raise healthy kids, and they uh, the whole idea is challenge this model of success, much of which you just described. And this extensive research found, to your point, that with very few exceptions, where you go to college has no bearing on your future success. And the thing that matters is your actual fit for where you are and what your your experience is, period. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of kind of crazy since I wrote that book. There's been all sorts of studies that have have very much lined up with my conclusions. But but just to be clear, I didn't do any research for this book. It was meant to be a funny book. Each one was just an essay of here here are the ridiculous things parents are doing. Here's why they don't make any sense. I refuse to look at any studies. And then all of a sudden, studies come out, and they I was on the right side of history for once. So I'm, I'm just going to take that as a win and walk away because it's probably never going to happen again. That's a drop the mic. It, it, it's a it's a tribute to your uh, your yeah. intuition. <laughs> 
your, your, your just intuition. The other thing I want to ask you about that when you talk about, you know, parents are just getting older, like a few things. One, one thought was, yeah, when I'm in, in my job and when I'm looking for people to collaborate with or to work with us, I'm not looking where they went to school. I'm looking what kind of people they are. And all my friends in other industries are saying the exact same thing. We're looking for good human beings to join us. Yeah, and, and completing a four-year degree really doesn't prove that at all. In fact, there are some people who completed four-year degrees who are just, just quite frankly, terrible human beings. And we, we all went to college with some of those there. So there's got to be a better screening tool than college. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is yet, but there, there yes. has to okay, be something Okay, we're not knocking there. education for all the listeners. Education's important. We're just talking about <laughs> what's important in raising human beings and how do we do that. Um which brings me to my exactly. other thought when you were talking about chilling out as we get older. So being a parent of multiple kids, do you find that you chill more or let things go more with each child? Yeah, I'm getting better at that. I mean, they, <laughs> I just, I, I try to keep it so that they just don't come to me with all their disputes. They fight over everything. I had, so earlier today, I had two of the four kids home. We have three TVs and four tablets. And the two of them were sitting in the same room right beside each other, fighting over what to watch on the TV. Like there are literally more screens than people in the house at this very moment. You can't solve this for yourself. So the solution was that neither of them got to watch anything. I just try, I just try to incentivize them to peacefully work out the solution on their own, but it, it very seldom works out that way. Uh, the good news is as a comedy writer, every time something goes wrong or the kids don't go al- get along, we just, you know, that's, that's the material for another joke. So either I have peace and quiet or I have, I have another tweet ready to go. You have so material way, everywhere. You just ahead. have to observe parents and then watch kids. Like you're, yeah, that's a good setup. Exactly. Um, okay. Now we know how to uh, efficiently raise kids by chilling out and backing off. Um, now let's move on to your latest book, how to save your child from ostrich attacks, accidental time travel, and everything else that might happen on an average Tuesday. And as I was telling you before the show, as I was reading through this book, I was just so thankful that I did not have, I didn't have this book when my kids were little, because I would have been even more tetrified of all, terrified, terrified, tetrified. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. That's a word, right? (laughs) Uh, Petrified and terrified that all of the other ways that something could go bad that I hadn't even considered. Yeah, kids are amazing at finding danger where there is none. You know, just normal, common, everyday household items that can't possibly hurt anyone, and they'll figure out a way to swallow it or stab it in their eye or shoot it at each other, depending on their age. And it doesn't stop. Like, you think, oh, once you're past the toddler age, you're okay. But then you've got, you know, teenagers, and they're using shopping carts to joust in a parking lot, or they're riding in the back of a pickup truck shooting fireworks at each other. I mean, the the urge for self-destruction never really settles down. So for this book, it was kind of the the spiritual successor to Only Dead on the Inside, my zombie book. And rather than writing an entire book about one far out there survival scenario, I thought, what if we took, you know, 80 or 90 or 100 random survival scenarios and just, just see how extreme we can make things. This is how to survive 
uh, as a parent with your kid if you know an ostrich attacks or a shark attacks or uh, you know, I think that one of the sections that got cut, if you were in a plane crash, uh, used all sorts of crazy things. If there's go- a ghost in your house, if you get sucked into a classic book, uh, all of those kind of things that I think parents don't worry about, but maybe we should. And uh, it, it, part of it is that parents are already so worried about everything else out there. I had to really rack my brain and thought, what's well, something so ridiculous that even the most worried parent won't worry about it? And then let's worry about that and see what would happen. So well, it, it was you a lot mission of accomplished because I uh, not only work with worry, um, professionally, but I would call myself a professional worrier. I've got a lot of years of it. Um, And uh, (laughs) yeah, you came up with new things that I had not even considered to worry about. Yeah. Mission accomplished. uh, Mission accomplished. um, Take home a couple take home messages from this book for parents who are going to want to read this. Yeah. To give them a little teaser. Like what's the thing, what's something that they're really going to get out of this book? I think uh, much like my first book, you'll just realize that uh, by surviving everyday challenges and going through so much, you're you're capable of a lot more than you think that you are. You know, surviving a shark attack sounds almost impossible, but then you realize what you go through to protect your kid every day, just to keep them safe, to get them across the street looking both ways, to to fight with them for an hour to get dressed, to make them sit there and eat their dinner. It's you know what, a shark attack is really not that much of a stretch. You've got the baseline skills there already. Uh, you know, and it's it's just a lot of putting your kid behind you and and going forward and and seeing what happens. Uh, and there are some scenarios where having a kid is actually an asset. Like the, one of my favorite sections in here is about is about the uh, the hauntings. You know, in all these horror movies, it always starts out like a little innocent child finds this horrible, scary ghost. But I think realistically, if you're in a haunted house and you have a child, I think that ghost is going to be on the run because the only the ghost's only goal is to scare people away and have peace and quiet. And a child is the opposite of peace and quiet. Like that child is better than you know an old priest and a young priest. It's going to drive that ghost insane with constant noise, and and you're gonna you're gonna get it out of there. That ghost is going to be at your mercy in no time. So yeah, so I think it's it's about using your child's you know they might seem like shortcomings, but in in crazy survival scenarios, they can actually. And- be you know, as someone was saying today, someone I was consulting with today when we were talking through the stuff that they were dealing with with their complex child was like, I wish someone would have told me about this before I ventured into this. And I said, you know, you know what? It doesn't work that way because evolution is smart, <laughs> right? Like part of this is none of us, I don't think any of us, most of us have any idea how hard it is to parent and how it stretches you in ways that you didn't even know you could be stretched. Yeah, and you know, at the same time, it's mm-hmm. it's somehow we make it through it. I mean, Homo sapiens have been around for two or three hundred thousand years. You know, for a lot of that before, you know, before written language, before parenting books, before parent shaming, before all of that, and yet somehow, generation after generation, we raised enough kids to adulthood to reproduce and continue the line on. And if our cavemen ancestors could make it, you know, when there was a very real risk of your kid <laughs> being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, like I've got to think that today, you know relatively as much as we complain about the dangers and the struggles and the challenges like i'm not worried about my kid being eaten by a giant prehistoric bear like we've we've got it pretty easy relatively uh and we just got to square away these last few challenges with ghosts and gremlins and all that and we'll then have it good. we'll have it made then we're good yeah yeah so guys yeah, exactly. all of you out there who are um having those normal parent worries Listen to James' words. We no longer, you do, we don't have saber-toothed tigers and prehistoric bears around the corner 
eating our kids. We need to be grateful. We need to be grateful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So what would you say is something that you did not expect to come out of your parenting journey that you now have experienced? Like something that just like you had no idea was 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 down the corner around the corner for you. I had no idea how much crying would be involved Yours? in my everyday You're crying life. or theirs? Like I in the process of Okay. Okay. Oh, usually theirs, sometimes mine. It just depends on the day. I mean, you, getting dressed seems like the simplest thing in the world. This is a process that my kids have completed literally every day of their lives. So we've got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a four-year-old. And every day of their life, every day, they have had to get dressed. Yet somehow, every morning when they wake up, they look at me like it's some new and unique challenge that they have never been through before. And every day, I mean, at least one of them cries. Like if we make it out of the house and only one of them was crying, that's a really good day. Two of them crying is an average day. Three of them crying is a not so good day. Disaster. And four of them crying is a very bad day. And uh, yeah, and I, I just, uh, I've kind of become immune. I know a lot of dads talk about their daughters having them wrapped around their finger, but you know, my kids have cried so much over such mundane <laughs> you stuff. You don't even hear it anymore. I just, I just tune it out. It's just background noise. I, I get more concerned <laughs> if I don't on? hear somebody Is everyone breathing? I do anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. <laughs> so James, it's now time for that parent footprint moment question that I know you've been eagerly awaiting for. So tell us all about a time <laughs> when you became aware of yourself as a parent or as an individual and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. So we've got, uh, for pets, we've got one dog and we've got two potbelly pigs. And they, uh, for a long time, they slept in my seven-year-old's bed. But the pigs are getting bigger and the seven-year-old's getting bigger and they don't all fit. So I had to figure out, after training these pigs all their lives to sleep in this bed so we knew where they were all night, we had to get them out of the bed. So for the past two weeks, I have been trying to outsmart and untrain two small pigs and it has really uh, taught me about my limitations. I like to think I'm, you know, the the alpha male of the house, and I have everything under control. And apparently, I I don't. I had to. Uh I, I put up all sorts of barriers. I moved beds around. I tried psychological warfare on these pigs to try to get them to sleep on the ground uh, on this toddler mattress I bought. And they just wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. I finally put a gate or I put a fence all the way across the room, this like multi-section pet fence. And one of the pigs would just sit there and whine at it. And she would not sleep on this mattress. Like I put blankets on it. She tore the blankets off the mattress and slept on the blankets next to the mattress and pro protest on top of this rug. And finally, uh, last night, I figured it out. I took the rug and I put it over the mattress so they couldn't see the mattress anymore. So they didn't have anything to protest. And finally, finally, they slept on top of the mattress hidden underneath the rug. So uh, I guess it taught me that maybe I'm not as on top of the food chain as I'd like to believe. And uh, at the same time, I realized that, uh, you know, I've got to... <laughs> The ki kids aren't the only ones to contend with. A pig is kind of like a perpetual toddler. So it, it, it sharpened my skills a little bit. It made me realize that need to just solve these problems, I've got to uh, I've got to think like my adversary more. I can't uh, I can't always think like an adult. I need to think like a child sometimes. And sometimes I those need to think pigs like a pig. are very smart uh, creatures. Very smart. Yes. 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 Well, they what you have modeled for them. all of us is outside the box thinking, persistence, resilience, and tenacity. So, yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> a very positive way to frame all of that. Okay, James, tell everyone where they can find your stuff and also tell them about your new, your even newer book that's going to be released soon. My most recent book that came out was How to Save Your Child from Ostrich Attacks, Accidental Time Travel, and Anything Else That Might Happen on an Average Tuesday, as you mentioned a minute ago. You can find that at most online retailers, most major bookstores. You can find me at my website, explodingunicorn.com. I'm on Twitter, Exploding Unicorn without the E, or you can find me on Facebook. Just search for James Breakwell, Exploding Unicorn. I'll pop right up. I'm James Breakwell on Instagram as well. I've also got a pretty popular newsletter where I, I write out my adventures every week in long form, and you can sign up that uh, for that on my website or at the top of my uh, my Twitter account on the, on the pinned tweet. And I have another book. It's a guided journal for kids that's coming out in a couple months here uh, called Prance Like Nobody's Watching, How to Live Like an, or a Guided Journal for Exploding Unicorns. And uh, it's, it's for a, a middle grade crowd. It's got some funny writing prompts and some drawing prompts and things like that. Rather than writing about kids for a change, I'm writing for kids. So hopefully, nice. hopefully that one uh, hits the mark. James, thanks for your perspective on parenting, a much-needed perspective on parenting, uh, for us to be a little lighter, uh, look at things a little differently, take a step back and chill out a little bit, and know that um, we homo sapiens have been keeping our kids relatively intact for a very long time. So uh, if our ancestors can do it, we can do it too. Exactly. Well, we'll end this on a positive note. <laughs> yes. All right, guys, that concludes our show. Zombies, ostriches, and unicorns. Oh, my. Check out James Breakwell's stuff, and it'll help you think differently and help you laugh, which we all need to do on this parenting journey. As always, think about the person you want your child to become. Try to be that person you want your child to become. They're always watching. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. Subscribe to the show. Tell everyone about it. And ask yourself that guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?